I love that. God put such a high priority on relationship. Last week, we talked about that in depth. By the way, my name is John. I am one of the pastors here at Lakeside, and we are in week two of a series that we are calling uh, Theme Songs of the Relational Cinema. I said it last week, and I'll say it up top again, that uh, we're kind of issuing a PG-13 warning for the series because we are looking at the life of King David, and his life was just a mess. Not like your lives. Your lives are perfect but King David was a mess, and so uh, anyway, want to let you know that, just didn't want you, uh, there, there may be occasion that you have a, a conversation with your, your child on the way home tonight, if they're in the room, uh, because we're going to be looking at this, uh, this story of David. Now, last week, we met somebody by the name of Nathan, and uh, we all decided that we absolutely need Nathans in our life. I highly recommend that you go to lakesidechurch.com, and you can go to the video uh, tab, and you can, you can watch that message from last week, if you may missed it, but I guarantee you, if you are here tonight, uh, I'm going to try to fill in all the blanks for you so you don't feel like you missed out on something from last week. Uh, and if you're new here at Lakeside, we often will speak through uh, messages in series like this because it's, it's so hard to be able to open up a Bible passage and feel like you can talk about it all at one time, you know, in 30 or 35 minutes to unpack that. Somebody grabbed me last week and we were telling the story of Bathsheba, and I love, she said, man, I wish you could tell that story from Bathsheba's perspective all the way through. I said, I would totally love to do that. Uh, Some of these series, we could could preach on them for six months and we wouldn't get uh, to the bottom of them because the Word of God is living and active. It's always popping out new things and bringing them to our attention. And so uh, we're going to do our best to unpack another story tonight. We are going to look at somebody else in the life of King David and we are going to be in 2 Samuel chapter 13. Now, this story is going through a few chapters in the book of 2 Samuel, and so I am going to, as I'm just going to give you a summary of what's happening in these stories. So, are you ready for one of the craziest stories in the Bible? Because, I mean, you thought it was bad last week, but we are inviting all the crazies into the room for this story tonight. Uh, you may want to strap on your seatbelts. Uh, but before we look at Second uh, Samuel chapter 13, where the story begins, I want to read to you a psalm. This is a psalm of King David. If you don't know who David is, uh, he is one of uh, the world's most famous kings, certainly one of the most famous kings in the Bible. And he is a songwriter. He wrote this song. Uh, it's Psalm 3. It's a psalm of David. David when he fled from his son Absalom. So there we go, showing all the cards, all right? Spoiler alert, we're talking about Absalom tonight. So this is what David says when he writes the song. Oh Lord, how many are my foes? That's exclamation point, not a question mark. How many rise up against me? Many are saying of me, God will not deliver him. Selah. Whenever you see the word Selah in the Psalms, it's a musical pause. So we are supposed to be pausing and thinking about what just happened right there. Pause. All right. Instruments playing. Imagine them in your head. You are a shield around me, O Lord. You bestow glory on me and lift up my head. To the Lord I cry aloud, and he answers me from his holy hill. Selah. I lie down and sleep. I wake again because the Lord sustains me. I will not fear the tens of thousands drawn up against me on every side. And then it gets weird. Arise, O Lord. Deliver me, O my God. Strike all my enemies on the jaw. Break the teeth of the wicked. 
From the Lord comes deliverance. May your blessing be on your people. Selah. This is what we call an imprecatory psalm or an imprecatory prayer. Say it with me, imprecatory. You just learned a Bible geek word there. And it's the, kind of, it's the kind of thing that happens when somebody says, Lord, rain down fire from heaven and punch my enemies square in the jaw. And it happens all throughout Scripture in, in these Psalms. Now, now, we can look at this and we can say, David, come on, man. What were you thinking? God doesn't want us to act like that. Or we can look at it and say, thank God that we can be honest with him. And God is not afraid of our honesty. And God hears those things. And they're even recorded for us so that we know that it's okay to be human. And that God is pursuing us. And that God wants to change things in us. We learned last week that we all have a theme song. But we learned also that we're not stuck with a theme song. That God's in the business of giving us new theme songs. Throwing away old ones that, that don't work. Theme songs are the things about us that when we are in a relationship with somebody, they're either attracted to us because of certain things or they want to keep us at arm's length because you know, they don't want to hear that song anymore. God is in the business of giving us new songs. So this is one of David's songs, but you know, I love protest songs, but with every protest song, there's a backstory. And so we're going to look tonight at the backstory of this song. What would get David to the spot where he is saying, enemies are surrounding me, everybody's chasing me, break the teeth of the wicked. Well, here we go. Are you ready for this? Second Samuel chapter 13, I'm going to tell you the story. There is a son of David. His name is Absalom. He is David's third son, and Absalom has a full-blooded sister named Tamar. Absalom and Tamar both have the same mom and dad. David is their father. There's another character in the story right at the beginning. His name is Amnon. Amnon, the Bible says, is sick in love with Tamar. Now, it sounds really cute at first. Oh, it's like, puppy, it's like he's so sick. He's sick to his stomach. No, he's sick in love. And let me tell you how sick it is. It's his sister. It is sick. It's his half-sister. They share the same dad. He's got a different mom. He's sick in lust is what he is. And lust often parades itself around as love. And he wants to be able to be with his sister. But he can't because it's against the law and because it's sick and wrong. And so he's talking to his friend Jonadab about this. And Jonadab is not only his trusted friend, it's his cousin. And he says, Jonadab, what should I do? And Jonadab says, man, every day you get up and you're just making yourself sick over this. Like, we got to put together a plan. This is what you should do. You should, and whenever anybody in these Old Testament stories, I swear, whenever they say we should put together a plan, you should stop and say, ah, something bad is probably going to happen because it happens time and time again. He says, this is what you should do. You should pretend that you're sick. Lying in your bed, and then your dad's going to come by, and he's going to say, hey, little buddy, what's going on? Can I get you anything? And then you're going to say, oh, dad, I don't feel good. Could you get Tamar to come in here and, <coughs> and cook me something because she's such a great cook? And he says, okay. And so that's exactly what happens. And uh, Tamar comes in, and she, she cooks him a meal, and then he says, everybody, can you get out of the room? And he says, can you come here, sister? Can you please feed me because I'm so sick. I can't get up out of bed. And so she comes to his bedside, and she begins to feed him and then he says I want you to sleep with me and she says no because it's sick and wrong and it's against the law but then she starts to think in her head maybe there's a way that we both can win here now you have to get your mind inside of what's happening in this culture at this time if a woman who she was a virgin she was ready to marry just not her brother if a woman is disgraced 
It doesn't matter what happens to her, and it's totally unfair if she sleeps with somebody before she's married or if somebody forces themselves upon her, then for the rest of her life, she's going to be messed up, and she's going to have to live alone, and everybody is not going to pay attention to her. And so she starts to think, this is the most horrible thing that's happening right now, but... there's a plan B, maybe we can get the king to change his mind and I can marry him because I really don't want to, but I don't want to be disgraced. I don't want to go the rest of my life destitute and have no money coming in. And so she pitches this plan to him and he says no. And the Bible says he was stronger than her and he raped his sister. And then he kicks her out of the room. He tells his friends, bolt the door. I don't want to see her anymore. And the Bible says that his hatred for her at that time was greater than the love slash lust that he had for her before. It's horrid. She runs out of the room. She's wearing her princess robe. The Bible says they they wore these, uh, you know, virgins would wear these robes and the princesses that were just beautiful, you know, adorned with jewels. and, And she tears it. As she's running out, she tears it. And this was, this was common for them to do in, in, in the Old Testament. If, if they had great anguish, if they were sad, if they were, if they were angry, if they were prayerful, if they were, if they were coming to God and they were asking for forgiveness for a bunch of different things, she runs out and she feels like her life is wrecked and she tears her robe and her brother Absalom sees her and he puts two and two together. Now, Absalom does something good at this point in the story. He says, don't worry, I'm going to take care of you because he knows for the rest of her life, she's going to need taking care of. And the Bible says in one little small spot that she lives the rest of her life a desolate woman. It's a very, very sad story, but at least she is taken care of by Absalom. Absalom does nothing right away. And by the way, neither does her father, David, who finds out about it. Absalom Uh, sees what has happened. He waits for two years and he does nothing about it. But then he decides that he's going to throw a party. Now, have you ever gone to one of these murder mystery parties? You know? Okay, it's one of those kinds of things, except there's going to be a real murder at this party. And he goes to his dad and he says, hey, why don't you come over to a party at my house? I'll invite all the brothers over. We'll have a big feast. We'll drink a little. And David says, no, I can't go. I don't want to bother you, but why don't you take your brothers? That'd be a great thing. They have a big party and it's Absalom's plan. And he carries it through to get them all stinking drunk. And then he tells his friends who haven't been drinking, I want you to jump on Amnon and take his life. And he does that. His brothers stumble out of the party drunk and they go back to dad. And dad at first, David thinks, he gets word, he thinks that all of his sons have been killed, but he learns it was only Amnon. And he still, he's sad because even when our kids screw up, we love them. And he's sad because one of his sons has died. And at this point, Absalom uh, flees. He gets out of town because he fears for his life. Enter a new character in the story. Are you with me so far? Okay. New character comes in the story. His name is Joab, but he's not entirely new for us. Because if you were here last week, we learned about Joab when David sent his commander to tell the army to press against the wall and to leave poor Uriah the Hittite out in the open so he'll take all the arrows so he can kill Uriah and he can take Bathsheba as his wife. Remember that story? His commander was Joab. 
So Joab has been in the battle with David, and Joab knows David's dirty little secret that he had Uriah killed. And so Joab enters into the story right at this point, and he says, you know what I'm going to do is I'm going to reunite Absalom and David. He thinks this is a good idea probably because he needs this political alliance. If he can, if he can get dad and brother to be talking again, then everybody will be cool. And at the very least, if he can gain the good graces of Absalom, then maybe if Absalom is ever to become king, then Joab is still going to have a spot as commander of the army. And so he can't get David to invite Absalom to come home because David does not want to have to deal with the sin. No father ever does that, right? No father just ignores their children because they don't want to have to deal with it because, you know, it's, it's too hard to go down that road. But that's exactly what's happening here with David. And so Joab says, if I am going to get him here in town, I'm going to have to trick him. And this, my friends, happens time and time again in this story. Because sin has ripple effects. And people start playing the same song over and over when they see it work, even when it's evil. And Joab does this. I kid you not, he goes to another town and he hires an actress, a method actress, to pretend that she is completely uh, poor and destitute and to go into David and tell him a story. And the Bible even says he tells her, don't put on any lotions, don't put on any perfume. I want you good and stinky when you go into the room so, so it's all real legit. And so she goes in there and she tells David the story, makes it all up, and she says, oh, King David, I have these two sons, and they were out fighting in a field, and one son took the other son's life, and it was a big accident, but now everybody in the town wants my son dead because he killed his brother, and we can't let this happen. Oh, my goodness, isn't it okay for me to be able to forgive him? Isn't it okay to not punish him for his sin because I need him here with me because I'm his mom, and I'm all, he's all that I have left. And David hears this poor woman's story and he says, oh my goodness, I promise you nothing is going to happen to your family and not a hair is going to be harmed on the head of your son. And she says, do you promise? He says, yes. She said, okay, so I'm good in your graces. I can say anything I want. He says, absolutely. I love you. You're all protected. And she says, good. I have something else to say to you. Da, 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 da. It was a lie. And David says, what? Did Joab put you up to this? And she says, indeed, Joab put me up to this. Now, here's the deal. Joab knows David's secret about having somebody murdered, so he thinks that he can get away with anything. He can get away with murder, so he tells this story to trick David into believing that it's okay for him to keep overlooking Absalom's sin and bring him home. And as a matter of fact, he does exactly that. And Absalom returns, but he's not able to see the king right away. Because David is still keeping him at arm's length. But Absalom really wants to get in and see his dad bad. And he wants to actually talk to his dad about the sin that his father never even dealt with. And so to get his attention, he burns a field belonging to Joab. He sends all his men to go burn a field. And Joab sees the field burning. And he comes and he says, did you order this? He said, I did. I'm trying to get an audience with my father. And maybe this will force your hand. And that's exactly what happens. He gets an audience with his father. And David kisses him when he sees him. He forgives and he forgets. And he leaves the sin to just stagnate. It just stagnates. He doesn't do anything with it. And now Absalom begins to feel like he is the BMOC. 
big man on campus. He can get away with anything. And so he's going through the entire town, and he's making friends with everybody, and he's making these little silent armies, invisible armies with people, and, and he's actually putting together a real army at the same time, but we don't find this out until a little bit later in the story. Absalom is going through the town, the Bible says, with his chariot that's drawn by horses. He's getting paraded through the town. You don't need to drive a chariot around the town. It's what they used in battle. But Absalom, it's like his muscle car. It's like he's cruising throughout town like I used to do on on sunrise before they shut it down years ago when they had cruise night. It's like he's just going through the town and, and he thinks that he's all that. And the Bible says this about him. It's totally hilarious. He Apparently, it was super attractive for the ladies. He had this long like mane of hair, which I don't think hair is attractive at all, but apparently he, he had this long hair and probably a gorgeous beard, and he's going through the town, and, and people just love his hair. They're talking about it all the time. The Bible says if you cut his hair, it would weigh five pounds. I mean, like this guy's got a big head of hair, and he's got a big head. And he's sitting at the city gate, and he's talking to people. Now, the city gate is the place where people would come to get their problems resolved. They'd want to get an audience with the king. But as they come to the city gate, uh, he's telling them, oh, the king is too busy. He can't really hear from you, but what's your, what's your problem? And they tell him the problem, and he says, oh, if I were king, I would so take care of that problem for you. And so people begin to love Absalom. And here's the thing about pride songs. I mean, they're horrible. I mean, this guy is so full of pride. Uh, it, it, it's absolutely horrible. But we, we, we have these songs inside of ourselves. But a, a way to stop these songs is that we, we have to intervene and we have to kill it. I mean, this guy is just riding the pride wave. But we have to, if we want to kill pride in our life, we have to daily rise up against it. I mean, we have to take steps to kill it. Pride, when, when we live pridefully, it may look good to other people at first, you know, maybe we're all that, it looks good at first, but then it becomes quickly like a Nickelback song, and everybody hears it and says, hey, that's got a good hook, and then really quick goes, no, actually, I hate this song. And so, um, so anyway, he's, he's super full of himself at this time, and he asks his father if he can go to Hebron. Now, Hebron is a holy city. Holy fathers uh, are, are buried there. Uh, it's his birthplace, as a matter of fact, and David, his father, was anointed king there, and he tells him he wants to go to Hebron, and he wants to offer a sacrifice to the Lord. He doesn't want to do that. He actually wants to go there and build an army, and so he goes there. He starts getting the good graces of the people. He even makes friends with a guy by the name of Ahithophel. Say that with with me, Ahithophel, in case you're looking for a name for your next child or your grandchild. And, and so now this da- word gets to David that he's building this army, and David is really, really sad, number one, because his, his son is going up against him, but also, number two, because Ahithophel is his trusted advisor, and he's like, man, my whole world is falling apart. My family and friends are turning against me, and so David does what he's always done. And what his son does, and he flees. He leaves everything behind. The Bible says that he leaves 10 concubines back to take care of the house for him. Oh, what, what a great guy. And so he takes off. He's got all of his friends. The priests try to follow him with the Ark of the Covenant. He says, no, don't follow me. I want you to take it back to Jerusalem. But he just goes out to get away from it all and try to preserve his life. Now, Ahithophel becomes a, 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 an advisor for Absalom. And the first thing that he advises Absalom, 
get this, he says, you know what you should do now, now that your dad's gone and you're in Jerusalem and everybody's on your side is you should set up a tent on top of the palace and take all of your dad's concubines and sleep with them. Have a little love shack out there for everybody to see. Dad's really going to get your dad. Yeah, doesn't that sound like a good plan? And Absalom thinks about it and he says, I think that's a fantastic plan. Selah. He also gets some other advice from a guy by the name of Hushai. Now, Hushai is a double agent. This story is so crazy. I'm telling you, HBO would pay big money to invent this kind of story. But this stuff really happened. And David goes to Ahithophel and to Hushai, who's a double agent, who's going to take everything back to David, but he doesn't know it. And he says, how do you think I should attack my father? And Ahithophel says, I think you should get about 12,000 men together, and you should go after him. It'll be totally easy, piece of cake. You could take him down. We know where he's staying. And to buy time, Hushai says, no, that's, that, that's not what you should do. Hushai says, you should put together a bigger army and go out after him because your dad right now, he is like an angry mama bear who has just had her cubs stolen from her. That's the actual thing that he says to him. And so uh, Absalom thinks about the advice, and he says, okay, I think I'll go with the bigger army advice. Meanwhile, Hushai runs to David, and he says, they're coming after you. You need to get out of this place. Put together a bigger army, and then flank them. I'll tell you exactly where they're coming through. You can have an army on both sides. And he does that, and there is a huge battle that rages in this forest, and a bajillion people die, and Absalom flees once again for his life. And as he's running out of town, David hears that he's still alive, and he says, go after him, but keep him alive. Please do not harm him. He's my son. I want him captive. And at this point, we're, we're hoping and praying that maybe David is coming to his senses, and he's going, there's going to be some justice. Like, he's going to keep his son alive, but maybe he's going to throw him in prison or something. But he, he says, I, w- I don't want a, a hair on his head harmed. And so uh, they go out after him, but Joab has a different idea all the all the while. Now, here, here's what happens. This is so crazy. Imagine this. He's on his faithful steed. Absalom is running away, and his hair is blowing in the wind. It's like, he's doing this. And, you know, he's, he's like a, a male model, and he's going, he's waving at people as he's taking off out of town. And I kid you not, he's going through the forest, and the branches are low-hanging, and he's ducking through, and his hair gets caught in a tree. I am not making this up. And he's dangling there from this tree, and he can't get free. Now, Joab has been told, don't harm him. But what does he do? Because Joab thinks he can get away with anything. He goes and he stabs Absalom in the gut with three different daggers, and he ends his life. Word gets back to David that his son is dead, and Joab like the great friend he is, comes alongside David and says, you ninny baby, are you kidding me? You're going to cry for your son? Now remember, he's got power over David because he knows his secret, so he can say anything he wants and and, and get away with it. He says, you're going to cry for your son? Like men just went to battle for you. Men just saved your life. You should be out thanking all of your men for what they did, including killing your son. And David does exactly that. Now, I could go on and on with the story, but that's where we're going to stop right now uh, in the story. And we're going to go back. We're going to remember Psalm 3. Psalm 3 is what we started with. 
Psalm 3 is a protest song, and we said at the beginning that it's good to know the stories behind the protest song, and this puts the psalm in a totally different light because here's the thing about protest songs. There's always a story behind it. We usually don't have the whole story with a protest song. And the authors of protest songs aren't always totally innocent. In Psalm 3, David was protesting against his bad seed, against his son who had risen up against him. But honestly, his son's life is a mirror of his own. His sons did the exact same stupid things. And Nathan actually told him, We learned this last week, and you can go back and you can read this earlier in the story if you didn't hear it. Nathan told him, because of your sin with Bathsheba, the rest of your life is going to be screwed up. And that prophecy is coming true here. Wow, that's sad. But here's something. I believe this with absolutely everything inside of me because I've seen it time and time again. From cover to cover, from Genesis to Revelation, from the first book to the last book, from the Old Testament to the New Testament, crying out over and over and over is God saying, you can change the song. Your family your friends, the people who are close to you. Yes, you are going to infect them with your choices, but you can stop it. You can turn this around. In the book of Hosea, we read the story of a man who is a prophet who God instructs to marry a prostitute. And this woman try as he might to love her, give her a home, protect her, raise children. She continues to go prostitute herself. And Hosea is instructed by God, keep going after her and get her back. That's the kind of God that God is. He says to Hosea, my people are exactly like your wife. I give them everything they need. And then they prostitute themselves. And I go out after them and I bring them back home and I love them. And they turn around and they go do the same thing again. God is in the business of going after us and giving us a new song. We can stop it. So here, here's what we do. Now, we could talk about this for six months, but let's highlight some of the things that happen in this story. Number one, if we want to stop these kinds of songs, the pride the arrogance, the, the backbiting, the hurt, the frustration, uh, all of the things that were happening in the life of David and his sons. Number one, we need to do what is right in our family and with our relationships no matter how bad it hurts. David was ignoring the sin all the time. You know, I wonder if David ever sat down with his little boys and said, I'm going to tell you a story of how I wrecked my life. I don't think he did. I think, I think it could have been different. I think the story could have been much different. Now, fathers, listen. Moms, listen. 
our children are responsible for their own choices. The proverb that says, train, train up a child in the way he should go and he won't depart from there when he's older, it's a proverb. It's things that are true about life most of the time. It's not meant to be a promise. Sometimes our kids screw up. If they screw up on their own, listen, they're responsible. But that doesn't, that doesn't mean that we're excused. We create ripple effects in our family and with our friends, with our relationships. And we can stop that. We can step in and it does not have to happen. We could keep our children and our families from a lifetime of hurt by stepping in and telling our story and doing what's right even though, it's hurt, even though it hurts. Oh my goodness, David should have taken care of his baby girl. What the heck was he thinking? Number two, we need to stand up for the weak. We've been talking about finding the pain and being the hope in our world over the last few months. Finding the pain and being the hope doesn't, it's hard work. It means that we have to listen to tough stories. And it means that we have to befriend people who have stories tougher than our own. But this is the way of Jesus. This is the way of Yahweh, God. That we stand in the gap. That we're his hands and feet. That we stand up for the weak. We want to stop the songs? Stand up. Here's another one. We need to not pretend to be strong. We cannot pretend that we've got it all under control. There's two things that happen in these stories. Either people are absolutely fleeing from their problems, or they're standing up and saying, yeah, I got this. I got this. I can take this on. And both ends of that continuum are horribly wrong. God says we desperately need one another. We need to ask tonight, who do I need to get right with? Who needs to hear from me tonight? We need to get it right. Or the songs continue. The ripples continue. Sin is like water. It's going to find the lowest, deepest ground all the time. The person you're thinking about right now that you need to get right with, do it. Tonight, this week, do it. If you need to put a message in your phone to have it send an annoying ringtone to you to remind you to call that person, do it. Resist revenge. That's another thing we need to, we need to do. This whole idea of turning the other cheek is something that Jesus, uh, Jesus put into our vocabulary. We, maybe somebody says you got to turn the other cheek and they don't know exactly where it came from. It came from Jesus. Now, some people will say, you know, turning the other cheek, that's weak. And especially, you know, in situations where somebody is being harmed or there's spousal abuse, they say, what, I'm supposed to turn the other cheek? That is not what Jesus is saying. If you're being hurt and taken advantage uh, physically for, by somebody, you, you get out of there. You, you protect yourself. If somebody punches you in the face repeatedly, Jesus isn't saying just stand there and keep taking the punches. Hit them back. Protect yourself. 
Jesus isn't talking about those things. When he says turn the other cheek, he's talking about those offenses. In, in, in that culture, if somebody slapped you up inside the head, they're just saying, are, are you an idiot? And they're just slapping your face. And he's saying, when somebody comes to you with those tiny little things, those little slaps on the cheek, you turn the other cheek. And you know what? That's not a position of weakness. That's a position of power. You don't let those things get under your skin, and you have the power. The other thing we need to do if we want to stop it is we need to stop public defamation of others. We need to stop the talk. We need to stop talking bad about people. Oh, my goodness. There's so much of that in these stories. There's yak, yak, yak into one another. He said, she said. It's going all the time, and, and this thing is just running at a frenetic pace. It's out of control. We need to stop it, and we can stop the songs. We need to seek wise counsel. We need to fire the people who give us bad advice. Do you have somebody in your life, like we see in these stories, who no matter what you do, they're always there to say, yeah, yeah, you know what, that's right. You should come back at them with something even bigger than that. Yeah, you should take them down person is not good for you. It, it feels friendly. It feels like they're on your side. But the person who is always telling you to, to go out and, and defame people and, 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 and to go for revenge, and no. No, no, no. Seek wise counsel. And here, finally, I, I think this is super important. <laughs> the other day, I went with my phone on the streets of uh, Old Town, Historic Folsom, early in the morning on a walk because I was trying to meet people who were out on their walk early and asking them if I could do a man-on-the-street interview. And I had two questions for them. Who are the, do you have somebody crazy in your life? Like, we've seen a ton of crazies in these stories. Do you have somebody crazy in your life? And if you could say one thing to that crazy person, what would you say? Nobody wanted to answer my question because they thought they were going to get in trouble or something. And I said, you don't have to say it. You don't have to say any names. It's just going on Facebook. Just, nope, nope, nobody wanted it except for one girl. One girl at the coffee shop. Uh, I asked her and she said, oh yeah, I've got crazy people. I said, what advice would you say? And she said, slow down. And that was so weighty for me. I thought, you know, that's a perfect way to wrap this message up this week. When things move so incredibly fast-paced and get out of control, and we don't slow down to think through the things that we should, all the wise steps we should be taking, then the song just continues. The faster we run without slowing down and thinking through these things and getting right, the faster we run, the easier it is for those songs to play over and over and over Read the book of James this week. It's five chapters long. Read it ten times if you want. It's an amazing book. It talks about this very, these very things. Would you pray with me tonight? Lord, um, man, these stories are like looking in a mirror for us. I think we look at them and we say, well, at least my life isn't that crazy <laughs> but, but that doesn't excuse us that doesn't that doesn't take us off the hook lord like my goodness relationship is so important and we need to we need your your strength to work harder at these things 
Thank you for these stories, these honest stories that help us to take stock of what's happening in our own lives. We want new songs. We want to be able to stop the old ones. Thank you for being patient with us. Amen.